Hey, and welcome to the Six Minute Mile podcast. I'm David LaValle, and we are wicked fired up, as we say in Boston, to introduce Paula Radcliffe as today's guest. Paula, quite simply, is one of the best women's runners in history. In 2003, she set the Women's World Marathon record by posting a 215.25 in London. That's a mark that would stand for more than 16 years. She won London and New York three times each, along with countless other world championships and prestigious races. Paula's only career disappointments occurred in the Olympics, where she ran four times, but was a hard luck kid in each of those games. We tried to convince her that a world major marathon win is actually more important than an Olympic medal, but she wasn't really buying it. Paula also shared some very touching news about how much running has meant to her as her teenage daughter recovers from a scary battle with cancer and how she reflects on what her father meant to her less than a year after his passing. Fear not, there are plenty of laughs and lots of optimism, along with a few misty reflections on life and parenting. Enjoy, and we'll see you out there. I'd love to kick off by just chatting a little bit about some of your earliest days in running, and I know it was a family affair early on, but uh, I'd love to hear how you first got into the sport and your your parents' involvement, and your dad apparently has a real passion for running, and, and your mom does as well, but we'd love to hear a little bit more about the early days. Uh, yeah, sure. I mean, I, I think I just kind of, my dad was running marathons um, around the time, like so as long as I can remember, he was kind of getting ready to to run marathons and I would have been maybe five or six and he would be doing his long run on a Sunday. Um, we lived near a big forest and my mum would go and we would give him drinks and snacks, I guess, on, on, in his long run and I would join in for a little bit and it was probably half a mile, a thousand meters or so at the time. Um, but I just really, really enjoyed it. And I loved sharing that time with him. And as soon as I was nine, he took me down to my local um, running club and I joined and then he was a big supporter, kind of taking me to training and to events and things. Um, and then we moved due to my dad's job in when I was 11 down to Bedford. And my dad spent a lot of time researching the best athletic clubs in the area. And it was him who found Bedford County. And um, that's where I met Alec and Rosemary, uh, my coaches who stayed my coaches the whole way through my career. Um, so he was kind of instrumental in setting that up. And yeah, dad went, went everywhere um, supporting me. And I think, I mean, it's one of the things because I lost my dad in April um, of last year. Um, and that's one of the things I've been going over and over is, is I don't think you realize when you're growing up how lucky you are to have the parents that you have. And how one of the best things that my dad did was kind of teach me so many things, but mostly to learn to stand on my own two feet and to make those decisions, but to make the right decisions. So he would say to me, well, what do you think is the right thing to do? And if I'm stuck now and I need his help, I only need to really imagine what he would have said. And um, it's there, it's there inside. So I think that's probably the greatest gift that, that he could pass on to me. I mean, of course, yes, sharing running and the love and the passion of running, but I think it's just everything else that he taught me as well. Um, but certainly now running is when I feel closest to him. Very interesting. And so did he, even at a young age, he would trust you to make some of those decisions about what do you think about doing this race or increasing training or slowing down? Oh, all of those decisions around my training and my racing were always my decisions um, for he and my mom. I, I remember 
in, um, God, what would it have been? So after the 1986 nationals, <laughs> I came 299th in the under 13 girls race. And my congratulations. Went, Thank you. I was in the top half of, my, of the field, so I was really happy. But my coach went up to my mom and said, um, I want to put together a girls team to win the cross country nationals next year. Would Paula be able to come training twice a week? Because at the time I was just going on a Tuesday night. And she looked at him and she was like, that's her choice. Why are you asking me? Um, which was kind of what my parents did. I mean, anything around sport and things were, was my decision to make and they would just support me in it. But um, I was kind of talking about wider life decisions and choices and things where you need your dad's advice. Uh, and he would give that advice. But first he would say, well, what do you think? What does your gut say? And then if he really disagreed with me, I think he would have kind of argued. But the point was he was teaching me to think what was the right thing to do and to kind of go through that process. So he was absolutely there guiding me and giving me advice, but also trying to show me that deep inside, I knew the right thing to do. And is this true of, uh, of choosing to, to marry Gary? Was he, uh, did he weigh in that? Was that... <laughs> um, my, no, my mom, actually, no, my mom weighed in because I proposed to him. So my yes. mom weighed in, she was like, why are you waiting? Just, just do it. And so she did on that side of it, but yeah, no, that's on, great advice. On the other side of it. But my dad did absolutely with, um, with university and A-level choice uh, at school. And I was really agonizing over which subjects to choose. And he's like, just choose the ones that you enjoy because you're going to do much better at those. And, and that was absolutely the best advice. That is great. And you know, those early days, this was probably before there were baby joggers and things like that, right? So it was probably hard for him to take you on a run the way parents could today. Yeah, I mean, I think it's probably the most valuable way to take you on the run is just actually to run with your kids. Um, yeah. So it would start out and absolutely it would be him maybe doing his proper run and then doing a little bit with me. And then it kind of went full circle to where I would be running with him and actually doing a fart leg. So going ahead and he would just keep running and just keep showing me the routes and things like that. Um, and then even as recently as like when they've moved house, maybe 2016, <clears throat> I can remember him getting his mountain bike out and just, coming out biking with me on a run because he was worried I'd get lost and I was like dad I'm 43 or something I won't get lost I'm fine but he was like no no no, I'll come with you and I'll bring the map and everything and we'll work out the trails and it was just nice to be able to share that time with him that's that's great and so um have you carried that on with your kids now yeah um yeah I love to to run with them um I mean, at the moment, we've been through a little bit of a rough time with my daughter uh, and she's not able to to run at the moment. Um, she had, it's probably going to come out, but she had a kind of adolescent cancer and she's oh, just no. coming out. Yeah, she's okay now. We were really lucky. It was treated really well and she's out the other side of it. I mean, she'll be followed up for the next four years, but she's clear at the minute, but she's oh, still recovering from the surgery. So she, can, she can't go out and run. Um, but my son does, and through this whole lockdown process, I mean, I think I've really seen how it's hit kids really, really hard. Um, physical activity at school is just not happening. Sports clubs aren't happening. Um, and it's a huge thing missing from the, from the kids' days. And I think it's, it's okay if they've got parents that are already involved in sport because we can keep that activity going. But if they don't have that, uh, it's very, very hard to catch up once they kind of fall behind fitness-wise. Um, and it's something that we're working really hard on at the moment is just trying to get some kind of activity, organized activity, even if it's in a virtual way, 
happening for, for kids to keep them mentally and physically healthy. Um, but with my own kids, I've just been taking uh, my son, Raf, and a couple of his mates. And we've just been running in the local woods um, every Wednesday instead of athletics. Uh, and it, it's great fun because you kind of rediscover through their eyes the kids' joy of running and just taking any path that's not really a path off through the woods and they just kind of hurtle down these these slopes and I'm just shouting be careful <laughs> and then catching them back up again when we're going uphill um but it, it, it's kind of fun to because that's the way I, I got into it with my dad we would just go explore in the forest and so to be able to to do that um with the kids now I think is it, it's really nice to get the time as a family but it's also shows that actually those things that kids have fun doing have not changed that much today to what they were 40 years ago. Um, and I think that's quite encouraging as well. Well, and, and I love that you um, and your dad were into running through the forest and running on trails because we've heard that from a few elite marathoners who grew up and part of their early love for running was running out in the woods mm -hmm. rather than just pounding, pounding out miles on a track or on the pavement. And I feel, at least in America, I feel as if, um, you know, there's trail running is a lot of times associated with ultras. So, oh, if you're going to do trail runs, you're going to go for 200 miles through the mountains over four days. Um, but but that, that's not it, right? You, you can have- No, that's, that's not it at all. It's kind of, it's, it's that freedom, I think. And I, I'm a big believer in cross country as well. And cross country, a lot of times in the UK is in forests, it's through woods. Um, it's kind of zigzagging in amongst the trees. And there's a feeling when you're a kid, and I think we can still have it as an adult, that you just feel freer and like you're running faster if the trees are kind of flashing by, um, right. past you. Uh, and it's one of my favorite things to run through the forest. And it's great for you because running on the on the pine needles, running on the soft ground is, is great for your body. It teaches proprioception. You've got to watch where you're putting your feet. Um, just the other day I fell because I was too busy telling my son where he should be careful. And I wasn't looking where I was stepping. Yeah. And, um, but, but that kind of skill, I think it, it really, it teaches you to to learn your own body as, and to be in tune with your own body as well. And uh, learn that kind of intuition that you can't get on the road because it's measured. Um, and right. the track certainly is measured. So you're, you're running a mile or you're seeing what your mile splits are. But if you're just running through the forest, very often kind of all the gadgets and GPS things aren't accurate anyhow. And you have to learn to just tune into to what feels right. And you can really surge and, and kind of play around with the pace. Well, and I also sometimes find myself, I, I try to catch myself, but I find myself apologizing if, if I put a, a trail run on Strava. I'm like, oh, well, this is a trail run. That's why it's so slow. <laughs> yeah. But but you can't care about that, right? You can't care about your time when you're when you're on a cross-country course or running over rocks and hills. No, exactly. You care about where you're putting your feet. And sometimes you're looking at the amazing views around you. Um, but I think, yeah, trying to get too hung up on time. And I think I kind of, I'm at a stage in my running now where I, I very rarely start my watch because I don't want to know how slow I'm running. I'm just enjoying running. And it's, it's time for me to kind of think things through, um, kind of mental reset, if you like, as well, um, while I'm running and just being able to, at the minute, kind of put things in perspective as well. There's so many sure. terrible things going on in the world right now. And sometimes, you're out running and you look around you and you just think how can the world be in such a mess when this is all still here and we kind of we have to be on the same page a little bit more well and and for what it's worth my daughter uh is is 13 and one of her very best best friends in the world overcame childhood cancer and this girl is 
one of the top five athletes we know um, out of any any kids of any age. And so uh, I'm, I'm sure you, I'm sure you've thought through this and it's hard not to fast forward in your mind as a parent to like, what does this mean for the future? But, um, you know, in the case of Emma's friend, this this little girl has come back 10 times stronger. And, you know, you, you do sort of yeah. wonder whether that experience may have helped and made uh, yeah. you know, in a strange way, made her stronger and better. Yeah. I mean, I think I've seen that. Sadly, you see them maybe grow up a little bit too much and yes. experience and go through things that they shouldn't have to do at that age. Um, and as a parent, it's hard because you can't do it for them. Right. You can only be there, but you can't sadly go through everything and, and take on that pain for them. Um, but I absolutely think, yeah, they become a stronger uh, and more resilient person. Um, because of what they've been through and I think also I think sport helped us um, a lot because you're very used to in sport okay here's the plan stick to it like you do the training every day we're just going to get through the chemo every day and we're just going to kind of take it one day at a time and just keep focusing on the end result oh that's interesting right because it's not you know you're not going to prepare for a marathon in one day right so similar, no, similar no, it's, mentality. it's kind of a long process and I think we were very lucky that it, again that it was a, a type that had a very good prognosis and um, so we we're just like okay the next four months are going to be horrific but we're going to get through them and we're just going to take it one step at a time and stick to the plan did you try to run during that time yes but for sanity not for training <laughs> well that's what I just, mean right just for like <laughs> dealing with it and things yeah yeah, yeah just I to... think if I hadn't have been able to do that I, I don't know. I would have got through it as well. And I don't think I would have been able to, to support her enough had I not been able to kind of do that. Absolutely. It's, it's um, important to stay healthy. Well, yeah, it's, it's, it's like on the, uh, the airline pre-flight instructions, right? You say, put the parents should put their mask on first and then, then you'll be able to take care of your kids, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You have to keep your own strength and sanity, but and during that time, did you tend to run alone or did you run with friends? Um, well, because through some of that time, we were in different types of lockdown restrictions as well. Oh, and of course. We yeah. were only allowed one parent in at the hospital. So that would kind of be like a reason. So I just went for a run when my husband came in so he could spend time with her in the room and you know, I would go out for a run. Um, so no, I was pretty much, I was running alone, but a lot of support from friends, of course, are, are vital at that time. And, and then uh, now it's it's a great thing just to be able, I mean, we can't meet up with big groups of friends, but just to be able to, to run with one friend and just kind of chat the whole run. Um, I think it, it's really important. And I think it's so, so hard for the people who don't have that interaction, be it walking or cycling or something with someone else, just to be able to talk to them. I think for people living on their own, it's it's a key point of the, of the day. I know for my mom to be able to go meet with someone and walk with someone and just talk to someone it is really, really important. No, absolutely. That's uh, yeah, no, it, it, there's a real power of healing and, and being outside and walking and, and we're getting closer, right? We're, with the vaccines, yeah. we're getting closer to, uh, especially for aged parents. Um, I think my, my mother just got herself on the, the wait list for the vaccine last week. So it, okay. it, it's coming. I don't know. Has, yeah. your, has your mom? Uh, she, my parents-in-law get theirs tomorrow, the first dose. And my mother, my mom hasn't heard yet, um, but she's in the bracket that should be getting done right now. But I don't know if you've seen, I mean, in Europe, 
they're too busy fighting and blaming each other and i'm just thinking we're all in this together for goodness let's just work together on it and brexit has nothing to do with it let's just get everyone vaccinated (laughs) as quickly as possible absolutely so uh but going going back to your dad he so he was ahead of his time though right there was not he was in a relatively small minority of people who were passionate about running in that era in the uk well he was he was kind of in the marathon boom i guess okay um so he was not in the very first London Marathon, but very close to it. I think he did, I have to get it right. I think he did 83, 85 and 86. And it started in 81 in London. He certainly did 85 because I was there when Ingrid Christensen set the world record. Um, but I um, I think it was 83 he did. So he was kind of really getting into it when it was just starting. But yeah, you're absolutely right. It was, as he would say, it was proper runners. Um, kind of running it then Um, uh, and it was the real people who were kind of training for it preparing for it It was less of the kind of all-inclusive fun runners and the numbers weren't quite as big as they they are now but it was the start of the marathon running boom no and it's interesting back then we've looked at the numbers in boston there there were more people back then who um, who broke three hours, for instance, than there are today. Not, not just as a percentage, but the actual number of people who ran the marathon in under three hours mm-hmm. was higher back. So people, um, I don't I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing, but people looked at marathoning as a race. They they joined yeah. a marathon to race it. Um, so I, I don't know if you're. I imagine given your genes, your dad was probably reasonably speedy for for well, a middle aged man. He was juggling, uh, I think his fastest was like three hours, 43. So he wasn't really speedy, Okay. Um, but, but he was juggling a full-time job at the same time. And he was kind of maximum that he could fit in was three or four training runs a week. Oh man. Um, wow. Okay. So it was kind of just, yeah, just kind of fitting it in uh, and just something that he loved doing until he couldn't anymore because his, his knees were too sore, but still one of the greatest things that we, we did was share. Um, so I, I started a family running event last year Um kind of a relay event and we launched it in actually July of 2019 um, in Durham in the UK and Gary was away training with Mo so my dad came and ran it with with our family so uh, that was myself Isla, Raphael and my dad uh, and it was great to be able to, to share that with him and it's kind of based on running loops so the family achieves 10k together over a 250 meter 500 meter and 1k loop and so my dad was like, oh, I can just do 250 meter loop because of my knees. And then he came up to me and said, oh, no, Raphael's really struggling. I'll run another 500 loop. And uh, Raph was fine. Uh, <laughs> it, was just, it was just really nice to be able to share that together. Oh, good for him. What a great memory. Was he involved in starting that or was that more your idea? No, it was it was actually my daughter's idea in the very beginning. We did a relay race here in Monaco, which was a split 10K. So she ran 3K and I ran 7K. Um, and then she said she just really enjoyed it. And she said, we should do something like that for families. So my first idea was a kind of Ekiden race, but then you can't do that because you can't leave kids abandoned somewhere along a, a marathon or a 10K route. Oh, right, right. Um, so that's when we started working on the loop format. And um, it's kind of not really competitive, the family achieves, but there isn't really a winner because you have all different ages. And it's really just a, a fun way um, for, for the kids to kind of do the math side of it and come together as a family and so we had moms who hadn't run for like 30 years coming along to run um, and little three four-year-olds kind of jogging around a 250 meter loop Uh, and it was just 
it was just a lot of fun. It wasn't really kind of based on, on anything competitive, but you do get the kids yelling, come on, dad, you can run quicker than that. Oh, that's a great way of engaging because I imagine kids, yeah. kids growing up in Europe are, are worshiping, uh, you know, premier league players or something, or, or in the U S they're worshiping NFL players or, or basketball players, but uh, but running can be a really fun activity. And I think that a lot of kids don't appreciate that. They look at it more as a chore, but a format like that mm-hmm. is really fun or running through the woods with your family yeah. is really fun. Yeah. Just kind of making some way just to break it up. So they're not thinking about slogging away for a long time. Cause as kids, it shouldn't really be about that endurance. It should be just, as you say, learning to have fun, learning to, to know your own body um, and kind of learning the skills that go into running without having to work too much on the endurance at that age. Um, speaking of family, so you had a great aunt who won a silver medal in the 1920 Olympics in swimming. Yeah. Now, were you ava- were you aware of that as a kid? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I don't think I, I don't think she was alive and I don't remember actually meeting her. Um, but I remember talking with my my granddad about it uh, and my family about it and, and kind of the, the whole family knew about it. The history was there. And do you know where that medal is today? No, that's actually, the, the medal is lost. Oh, um, no. But I think like for, for so many, it's the memory of it rather of than course. the actual medal and the, the names there in the record books. Um, uh, but yeah, the actual medal, we don't know where it is. But were you, were you proud as a kid? I remember when I was a kid, yeah. I would ask my 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 parents, uh, "Do we ever have an Olympic athlete? Do we ever have a professional athlete in our family?" And uh, of course, we didn't. But um, <laughs> but as a kid, you were aware of that. That's a kind of a fun fact to yeah, tell the other I think kids. It's, it's at lunch. A really, I mean, I wasn't, and I'm not. I can swim, but I'm not a great swimmer at all. Um, but I was absolutely aware of that, and I think kind of the mentality, and certainly that was a big part in. Um, never thinking that I couldn't do something in right. sport because if someone in your family's done it before you, it, it's the whole history of role models, isn't it? The fact that I saw Greta Weitz and Ingrid Christmas and Joni achieving things means it's in your mind, isn't it? There's no barrier to the fact that, that you can also do it. Yeah. Uh, all right. And speaking of Joni, we'll transition to your, to your, to your present day running career. So Joni is in her sixties is still running around a three hour marathon. Are you, I know. do you, which is absolutely incredible. Uh, do you have ambitions as a, uh, you don't have a whole lot left to prove here in your career, but do you have ambitions? To, are there milestones like that? Would you like to, you know, run sub 240 as um, a 50 year old or what? No, I don't know if I have so much the, the time ambitions, but I think I have wish lists. So I would love to, to get the six star medal. I would love to finish, tick off those, those marathon majors. Um, and I was actually talking to Joni about it because she was missing Tokyo. I was missing Tokyo. We talked about doing it last year. Um, and then I think with the whole pandemic, I think she she pulled out of it. I was going to support Jordan in Atlanta. So I, I wasn't able to, to commit to it last year. And then I've kind of been focusing on family like the, the rest of this year and not really thinking about whether I could run a marathon. But I think I could with Good. a little bit. I couldn't run it fast, but I could step into it and finish and enjoy a marathon. I so think I, think, right. I think you're missing memory. I think you're missing Boston and Tokyo. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Boston and Tokyo. And I think Joni's missing Tokyo and London. So, uh, oh, well, that works out well, right? You can, you can, you can be her host for London. She can be your host for Boston. <laughs> and, 
and then you can go do Tokyo together. Yeah, I mean, that would be for me a huge honor to, I don't know, if I'd have to train sometime, I think, to keep up with Joni. Um, but I would love to, to be able to run with her and to run a marathon with her. That would be huge for me. All right. Well, we, I am sitting about a half mile from the top of Heartbreak Hill right here um, oh, really? in, my, in my little home <laughs> office. So we will, you know, if you need a place to stay, we, our third floor is, is wonderful. We'll clean up the kids' toys from up there. And, uh, <laughs> but, but at the very least, we'll be at the top of Heartbreak Hill screaming and yelling for you. But, um, and was there, I, I know schedules were always tricky with London, right? Naturally, you would, yeah. uh, Boston and London were, were usually back to back. Was there ever a time you came close to running Boston? I know we all would have loved to have seen um, you. No, I mean, I, I would love to have done. I mean, my world cross country junior title was in Boston. Oh, right. uh, I love Boston, so it has a real special place in my heart. But again, because it was just so close to London, I think it was so hard for me to say, no, I'm not going to run London this year. Um, that it never really came down to it with, with Boston. But that's why I think now that was always going to be one that would have to be the, the end of my career. All right. Well, it's, I, I, I like this. Some, you know, runner's world is going to offer a million dollar bonus for you to do this uh, together and <laughs> to give an exclusive minute. I, I wish six minute mile podcast had that sort of budget, but it's probably a little <laughs> outside our budget. But uh, I, I, I see a huge press event in the making there with you and Joni crossing Tokyo <laughs> finish line together. Or maybe sprinting each other, trying to outpace each other down the down the final stretch. <laughs> Your competitive juices will all kick back in. Yeah, I don't think we can ever fully turn those off. I think we can recognize that we haven't got the, the wherewithal to back it up. But uh, I think you can't turn off the competitive side. I love it. So, um, so you've obviously accomplished just about everything uh, any distance uh, athlete could ever hope to accomplish. Uh, the notable exception is an Olympic medal. I don't want to dwell on that. But I, I, this, this thought has occurred to me many times over the years. You will probably disagree with this, but I'll bounce this off you. But I feel as if distance running is a little different than most Olympic sports where, um, you know, if, you, if you're doing the luge or you're an ice skater or you're a hundred meters runner, the Olympics is all anyone really knows, right? No, nobody knows who wins the hundred meter world championships, right? They, but they do know who wins the hundred meter mm -hmm. Olympic medal where, when you win London or you win Chicago or you set a world marathon record or you win New York four times, three times, four times, three times, three times. All right. Millions and millions of people know that. I feel like that's higher profile. That's in a lot of ways, that's a more important win than an Olympic win. Um, as I said, you probably won't agree with that, but it, I don't know, has that thought well, ever crossed your mind? I I've been asked a lot of times, would you trade the world record for an Olympic medal? Yeah, yeah. And I think just think that all important, they all have their own value and you try every bit as hard for, for each one. Um, I think the Olympics kind of has that extra, it's, an, it's a bigger step up in everyone's mind because it's what you dream about. When you're a little girl starting into running, the Olympics is the pinnacle of our sport and you kind of maybe then can't comprehend what it's like to run a marathon major in a big city and to feel that energy. Um, and then I think when you actually come to it, just every race that you stand up to, you wanna give it your best shot. But I think for me, maybe that was a little bit too much and the Olympics became a little bit too big. Um, and certainly I think that was the case after Athens and after the heartbreak and everything that I went through in Athens, I then certainly tried a little bit too hard for 2008 and wound up right. injured a long way out. So it becomes a bigger thing in your mind. Whereas had Athens just been 
just but, but had it been at like the London Marathon or the New York City Marathon I would have just called up the organizers and said I'm not able to run it um yeah, I'll just yeah. do it next year um but you can't do that with the Olympics so I think that's why it becomes a bigger thing but you're absolutely right in terms of the level of uh, performance it's really no different to a world championships or certainly to some of the, the marathon majors are actually higher quality race sometimes um, I think often right? the, yeah. the way things that work out um but yeah I mean obviously if I could I would go back and get the Olympics right but I gave it my best shot every time maybe I just pushed a little bit too hard and it just didn't work out but I would never trade it for any of the other things that did work out because I worked so hard for them well, look, and, and we are, we're, we're biased, we're fans of yours, but, but in, in some of those cases, you were sort of, sort of metal was stolen from you in a way. And I think you had some admitted dopers who finished ahead of you and bumped you off the podium, but, and I know yeah, you've been out. We, ne- we never actually find out about that. And I mean, I guess that's, that's one thing today when I see athletes complaining that athletes were caught ahead of them. Uh, and I get that they had the moment stolen from them, but at least they got to find out. Um, and there are generations of athletes before that who who never got close to finding out. And we're a long way from winning the battle, certainly in our sport, but I think we're doing a much better job than we were um, years ago. So we are moving forward. And in comparison with other sports, we are trying to catch people. We're not shying from, from catching the cheats and expelling them from the sport. And what's it look, you've known some of these people and you've heard all the rumors and, but what, what's the mentality of that person who says, I'm going to dope and, uh, you know, try to win. I mean, I sort of get it in cycling where you, you could make the argument that, okay, for a 10 year span, you couldn't crack the top 50 in the Tour de France, unless you were doping uh, still a horrible reason. But I feel like in running, I, I don't understand it in running. No, um, I, and I never could and never could get my head around that. I mean, I, I could maybe understand it in the case, I mean, obviously that hasn't been proven, but in the cases like in China, um, where an athlete maybe had very, very little choice in the matter and for a very, very young age, uh, and that's a, abuse and that's not an athlete willingly doping. And I can see that that may have been the case in, in Russia as well. Mm. Um so then I can understand that somebody's got no choice, but for somebody to, to make that decision, even in cycling, I think, would you not change sports if that was the case? Because at the end of the day, you've still, it's like the one thing I keep saying to, to my kids, you, you have to be able to make the right decision and the right decision is not always the easiest decision right. um, or the one that's going to bring the best results or make you the most popular, but it's the one that's going to help you look in the mirror at the end of the day and be happy with the decisions that you've made. And I think that's what drives and that's what, when it gets really tough and you're digging as deep as you possibly can, how can that be there if you're not really, if it's not all you that you're giving? I think that's, if you're willing to to take a shortcut somewhere else, you're kind of probably willing to just let things go when it gets really hard as well. So I think that that drive to, to give the very best that you can do in the race surely a little bit of that is lost when you choose to, when you choose to cheat and when you choose to, to take a shortcut. And how did, so great point on the state sponsored doping. I understand that. And you could be lured into this as a 14 year old and uh, may not be your decision in some cases. Right. But, but for an adult, I don't know, a Western European adult who makes that decision, what, what's the best you can figure out of how their brain gets to that point where they say, yes, I'm going to do this. 
Um, I mean, I've, I've thought about it a lot and I think, I don't know. I mean, I guess it's the same as someone who's going to steal something from somebody or yeah. cheat in an exam. I guess it's, it's the same moment of weakness. And I guess we don't know. Maybe they do live with a lot of guilt afterwards um, and really regret it. Um, I guess we, we don't really know that. Um, but yeah, it's, it's hard, I think, to, to comprehend when to you it's such an alien thing to do. Um, but then I guess, I, I don't know. I, I think it's just something that you have to, to recognize that, that people just don't always think like we do. <laughs> And um, it's kind of something you have to accept no, um, with lots of things, not just with, with doping. Sometimes people make just life decisions and you just think, what are you thinking? Um, yeah. But I guess it's kind of what makes society interesting too, is that people aren't all the same. Um, but at, at the same time, it, it is hard to comprehend when somebody's on a completely different wavelength to you, what would push or lead them to make that decision and to think it was okay. Yeah, no, it, it's confounding. I've never been able to understand that. And um, I think in running, is, realistically, there's probably not enough money to make it worthwhile. Like maybe if you're, you know, you have a $20 million football contract riding on it, maybe you could get your brain there. But anyway. Yeah, but I think in, in some of the cases with the African athletes, then that absolutely is a factor because it can be the difference right. from their family Fair. being yeah. completely ruined to, to actually being very very prosperous and just a few races i guess so i can i can see how they would go around down that road of justification more easily than maybe a, a western athlete with all the comforts i mean it's probably very easy for me to sit here with my very nice upbringing and i've never right. struggled to put food on the table what decisions would you make if you were struggling to to put food on the tables i mean i'd like to hope i would still make the right decisions but i can see how people would be more swayed to make the wrong ones it's different. I agree. So if you, if you, um, if we get back to flying and traveling around normally, but in, in, in a, an aspiring, uh, 35 year old runner sat down next to you on an airplane, figure out who you were. And they said, well, what's, what's, uh, Paula, what's one piece of advice you'd give to an amateur marathoner? Is there, are there one or two pieces of advice that you give out to, to, uh, someone trying to break four hours? I think the biggest thing for the for the marathon is that you have to respect the distance, but not be afraid of it. And like anything that really counts for something and matters in life, you have to do some preparation um, and then you're going to be able to do it. So you can't just step up to the start line of a marathon and expect to, to crack four hours. It's probably just not going to happen. Um, but if you do the preparation and do the training for it, then you're going to have a much more pleasant experience and be much more likely to 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 crack it um, and i think the other thing i always say to people is, is in the big city marathons use the atmosphere yeah. um, and i think that's what so many people probably during this pandemic will have turned to running and found it a huge crutch and a support but what's missing is that that buzz that camaraderie of being part of fifty-five thousand people on the road at the same time and i really dearly hope that we can get back to that at some point because i i think it's it makes the world, we always say the world would be a better place if everybody in the world was a runner uh, and a marathon runner. Because <laughs> I, I think it does give you a better understanding. And um, it, there's a spirit of, of camaraderie there that is, is not replaced and is not seen in any other sport because you can't get that many other people taking part at the one time and largely sharing the same experience. Um, 
So yeah, I really hope that we get back to that. And I always say to people, just draw on that energy. The people around you will yeah, support you when you're going through your rough patches. The crowd will, will spur you on. The, the supporters will really boost you and cheer you when you need it most. They won't let you stop. They'll shout, get going again, get going again. Yeah, good point. And that's no, the I... other point is that there are up and downs in a marathon. And you're never, even in the most perfect marathon, you're still going to go through rough spots. Um, parts and you need to keep your focus through those and believe that you're going to come out and get into the good parts again now so crowd at at a place like london or new york obviously makes a big difference and i'm sure in london they were were absolutely screaming their lungs out for you uh, which (laughs) must have been a thrill and do so you're aware of that obviously it helps you do you hear individual comments or do you ever like what's the craziest thing someone shouted to you during a during a marathon um oh gosh what's the craziest well i remember getting a marriage proposal in there you go <laughs> somebody um we were going through i think it was through chinatown in chicago and and someone just shouted out miss radcliffe will you marry me and i just thought oh my god that's so funny because i'm already married obviously <laughs> did you get it? and did... I, I heard that one and um so sometimes you do hear things um i, I would always hear my dad Oh, come on, really? Yeah, I would always hear my dad if he was out on the course somewhere. Even as a little kid, like on cross-country races, his would be the one bellowing. If I watch videos back from from Boston, I I can hear my dad screaming. Um, And uh, he was there for for so much of it, so I would always be able to to pick out his voice. But I thought I heard my brother in, I think it was 2003 in, in the marathon. And then he said, I wasn't even there. I wasn't even on that road. No, so I just, it must've been someone else that, that sounded like him. So what, when, if your dad would shout to you, let's say back in that Boston cross country race, what would, would it be specific advice or general encouragement? Did he, or did he have a standard refrain he would hit you with? Um, no, not really. I mean, he it would be just general encouragement. Just come on Paula um, uh, and go occasionally. Like my dad would be the one. So my mom would probably not be able to shout loud enough anyway, but she would never right. understand that like, what I needed to know was gap distance, um, uh, but my dad would, would do that. So if I was away, he would say, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, I can't even see them coming around that tree or something. So he would give me advice that I needed to know and that I could use at that time, um, which I guess looking back was a huge advantage. And he taught me to run downhill. So just oh, basically you- relax. So um, when I was, um, I would have been about nine or 10 and I'd done the first of like a, a a series of three schools cross-country races and just lost out to another girl and had been on flat playing fields and the next one was going to be in the forest where we used to run together so he took me to run around the course and he taught me that when most people get to the top of the hill they back off take a little breather and he said if you run hard over the top and just really let go and relax down the hill and let your your legs basically run away from you and just keep your balance um, then you can recover at the same time as building up a gap and that's what I used to win in Boston and so I do remember him there at the bottom of the hill saying, you did it, you did it. You've got a gap, just, just push on. And you knew what that meant. You knew it. You, yeah, yeah, yeah. I knew all this advice of cresting the hill strong, relaxing, yeah, coming down. I just, just run as hard as I could down the hill and just kind of used all the momentum to, to build up speed down the hill. So I knew when he told me at the bottom that I must have daylight and I could keep pushing on. And so, you know, as a parent now, um, how much it means for your kids to be healthy and happy and have little successes along the way. I think as, as 
a kid or teenager, even into our 20s, you, you don't necessarily appreciate what <laughs> even a good appreciative kid doesn't fully appreciate what their parents have done. Um, no. And you don't fully appreciate, you know, how much your, your successes mean to your parents. But now as, as a yeah. mom, do you look back and say, wow, my, my dad, my mom yeah. must be, you know, at, at world championships and, and setting world records. That must have been a really spectacular experience as a parent. Yeah, yeah, no, I think I think I do, and I also look back, and I think as you get older, you appreciate, like exactly as you said, when you're growing up, you don't know because they're the only parents you've ever had, and this is what I've always had, and I don't have anything to compare it with. Um, but then when you're a parent and you start to kind of go through those things um, with your own kids, and you just think, wow, my parents just did such a great job, and kind of I, I guess I want to be as good a parent as they were to me. And so when, when my mom or my dad says, okay, we think you're a great mom, that to, to me means the world um, wow. because they, they were to me. And that's, I think what I now see. Yeah, exactly. When you see your kids achieve something and I just think, I hope, I hope my dad was proud of me and I didn't tell him enough how, how great he was. Sorry. No, 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 no. Look, that's uh no, we all think back in those moments and, and you know, you can't thank parents enough. And so no. And we try to. Uh... And it's actually one of the things I went through when, so when my dad was in hospital, um, one of my friends said to me, well, why didn't you just write a letter to him? So I read it out and I read it out over the phone to him when he was in the, on the ventilator. So I don't know if he heard it or not, but afterwards I was like, oh, okay, I have to do this for my mom and I have to give it to her now. So she, I know she's seen it. So I did that. And it's one of the things that I'm really happy that I did. And I'm sad that I didn't get the chance to, I hope my dad knew it all anyway, but I didn't oh, I'm sure he did, but properly. no, and I, I'd be very surprised if some of that didn't register with him too at the moment reading that letter yeah. to him. But um, you know, this friend of mine grew up in India, and he said in, in India we have an expression that you should be you should be good to your parents because your children are watching, <laughs> and that's always yeah. stuck with me, right? <laughs> that's and so, true. you know, those those experiences and um, um, of you, you know, I'm sure your kids pick up on that how close you are to your parents and and how much that experience meant. And so they watch that and they'll pass that along to their kids. And so. Yeah. And I think it, it's always hard when you're in, I mean, I can remember my mom and my brother fighting and my mom just saying, well, I hope when you have kids, you'll know what this is all about. <laughs> <laughs> good standard, you know, page two of this yeah. the standard parenting handbook. Yeah. Good. It's worked for centuries. <laughs> right, it's your problem now when they're crying in the middle of the night. Yeah. Yeah. We've done all that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I got up last time. Good stuff. Um, and, uh, and, and so uh, the other thing on advice to amateur runners, your physio uh, has said several times that you have the highest threshold for pain of any, <laughs> any of the dozens and dozens of world-class athletes he's worked with. Um, part of that's innate, I'm sure. Right. But can an amateur athlete, a, a weekend warrior type of athlete, can you learn to increase your pain threshold or are, are there things that you can do mentally or physically to to, to become more of a know. Paula Radcliffe? I don't know. I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure you can. It's like, I never, I don't think I really thought about working on my, my pain threshold. I think I was very lucky that I always had a high pain threshold. And in fact, it could be dangerous because I could run through things I and bet. make them pretty bad um, uh, when I should have just stopped and, and not carried on. And silly little things like we would run to the track and I'd have my spikes in a bag on my back and I would do the workout and come home and get in the shower. And I think my back's stinging. 
And then I'd look in the mirror and it'd be all, all scraped up uh, and I wouldn't have felt it. Um, and so it's, I don't think then it's, it's me being brave. I think it's just a natural pain threshold. I see it sometimes with my son now. I'm like, where did you cut yourself? And he's like, did I? Oh yeah, I did. And he, and he hasn't realized. Um, so I think some of it is just genetics, but I absolutely think that there are mental focusing techniques that you can learn to just take yourself to a different place away from the pain. And I think that's one of the, the beauties of marathons and maybe one of the things that made me so well suited to the marathon is that I kind of saw that as a bit of a game, a bit of a challenge. Like, can I keep focusing away from the pain and find different techniques to distract from it, to be able to, to keep the pace going uh, as long as possible? So you um, were conscious of that, of the being deep in that pain cave and needing to work through yeah it. and i think you have to learn to to embrace it and not to not to think about it so if you start thinking my stomach's cramping my calf's cramping then it becomes more of a more of a thing but if you find something else to think about and in my head i just used to count and i just used to keep counting and i i had a, a rhythm that i'd worked out from training that roughly three times 90 um three times 100 was a was a mile and so it would break a mile down uh -huh. into into the thirds but it, in my head, I would only be thinking about what number comes next. Um, and it wasn't in time with breathing or it wasn't in time with foot strike. I think it was just what I worked out so that I knew exactly where it. So if I think about where it came from, I used to do a lot of 2K reps on the road, but they weren't okay. really 2K reps because as I, when I was growing up, whatever point I started doing them, I was running 1,000 and 315. So we just used to go to the park and run hard for six and a half minutes and they were six and a half minute reps. Um, and at that point, I guess I'd started counting in my head and four times was six and a half minutes. Okay. Um, so four times a hundred was six and a half minutes. So whenever I was running at my best in the marathon, then it was roughly a mile. Very interesting. And so that, um, it, and that didn't throw you off that it was not in rhythm with stride and breathing. No, no, because it was, I mean, it may have had a slight, I never thought about it being in rhythm with anything. It was just it was a rhythm of its own and it was a different one that just then everything kind of fit into. Um, but I, it definitely wasn't cadence because it was much too quick for that. Right. right. Um, and I would think it was probably more, maybe it was breaths per minute, Would it be, no, it wouldn't be. No, that'd be a lot. Because you'd be doing, yeah, would be too many breaths per minute. Yeah. A hundred breaths per minute. No, nine, no, it'd be about seven, maybe. Yeah. But they, uh, no, I don't think it is breaths because I think I was breathing slower. I think it'd be maybe one and a half. But that worked. You you, you would most yeah it, it worked most major me. races people, you would count. Yeah 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 pretty much everyone I think and certainly every marathon there would be a point maybe not the whole way through but in the difficult points I would absolutely uh, be counting. Very interesting. All right. Well, that's good advice for our amateur runners. So we'll we'll encourage them to do that. Um, and we asked you about uh, well we heard about your marriage proposal from the crowd in Chinatown in Chicago. <laughs> but do I've always wondered whether elites chat with each other not casually obviously are there are there mind games that go on verbal mind games is it is it like you know is it like footballers who are you know saying oh you're you're watch this i'm going to beat you on the next play kind of thing i i don't think it's as cutthroat as, as that right. um and i certainly it's one of the things that i used to 
love of, about distance running was that that camaraderie is stronger than the rivalry, if you like. So where you would see the, the sprinters kind of trying to psych each other out in the call room and before you go out there, there's none of that in distance running, really. Um, but there are little subtle mind games without a doubt. So you can tell from someone's breathing if they're going through a rough spot. And if, if you kind of make yourself look easier or, or grab a drink and offer it to someone if you're feeling better, there are kind of little mind games that you can play just to show that you're feeling stronger and, and in the same way when you're going through a rough patch not to show that you're going through a rough patch um, because everybody still wants to win and if you can sense a little bit of vulnerability in your rivals then you are going to put your foot down at that point and just try and push on but but I think it's a lot more based on the fact that it's more the running well in the marathon is more about pushing when you feel good yourself uh, rather than pushing because someone else is going through a bad patch so the times when I, I've really pushed on have been when I felt right rather than I thought, oh, they're struggling, so I'm going to try and push on because that won't always work if you haven't got it in your own arsenal to be able to, to carry it through. Good point. And you seem like a very nice person. Um, you probably <laughs> wouldn't do this, but have people said mean things to you during race? Would At some points, do will people say, oh, looks like you haven't recovered from that foot injury after all, or um, your breathing's a little heavy, Paula, or... There's, no, nobody's ever, nobody's yeah. ever said, um, no, I think more, more the opposite. I think people have helped. So if you drop your bottle, people might offer you theirs. Oh, um, that's so good. People will warn you if there's like, if you haven't seen something that, that's dangerous on the course or, or something like that. Um, uh, no, I don't think I've ever had anyone do. I've had people when I was a kid in cross country races actually stop and wait if we were sent the wrong way. And so we got back onto the right course. Um, and that meanness, I think, I haven't, I'm lucky in that I haven't actually seen that in racing. I've had on the odd occasion, well, in, in New York in 2004, um, when I was added to the race at the very last minute. I mean, Dina, who had, had every right to complain, was absolutely lovely about it. But there were other people who didn't want me to be added into the race and, and right. were, were not happy about that. Um, but yeah, it's kind of, life's too short. I think it's just about racing and just about having fun. No, look, it is one of the great things about the sport. I've, I've always, I've always wondered why I don't hear more of that. And I think you've answered it, right? It just, it doesn't really happen. It's, that's no. not the nature of the sport. I mean, sport. I've had, when I was at university and I would train in a big mixed group, I've had guys who didn't like me being in the session and beating them. I've had that side of it. I love that. They'll cut you up and they'll, they'll not be happy, but that's just in a training session. And that's a little bit male egos as well. Right. <laughs> I have, no, I have no idea what you're referring to with male egos. Okay. No. Okay. <laughs> You've been a great sport with us. I would love to hit, hit you with a couple of quick questions. We've, uh, we've, we've asked of a few other guests. So we'll, uh, we'll hit you with a few quick questions and we will let you go back to your sunny day while we, uh, we go shovel our driveways. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> I love that. Uh, <laughs> all right. How about uh, your favorite movie of all time? That's, that's really tough because um, I think going through different stages, I have different ones. Right. Um, now you remember different parts of your life. With different... Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like I, at the time, I remember being so, so moved by Schindler's List. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. And it's not like a fun movie, but I, I found it a really inspiring, really touching, um, made me really want to do something better with my life kind of movie. Um, Absolutely. And then just through lockdown recently, I've actually got my, my son into watching Karate Kid, the original one. How good is that? And, the original? And you watch them back and you just think, 
wow, we grew up with this. And there are so many actual lessons in there that you probably never thought about as a kid when you're just watching it. Uh, and I'm just trying to explain to him, do you see what they're trying to show you there? And he's, he's got no clue. No, 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 no. But <laughs> I just want to see good. the fight he's scenes again, Mom. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Um, so I think that was really good. Um, Oh, those are good answers. I, I, so chariots of fire didn't didn't jump right to mind. That's uh, that's good. You 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 see the world beyond just running. <laughs> yeah, I like it. Yeah. Good stuff. How about uh, how about favorite book or one or two books that have, have moved you or been important uh, for you? Um, I can remember reading The Power of One, um, uh, uh, yeah. and that was that was really really uh, really special. Um, and what did I read as? As a kid growing up, uh, I mean, we have here um, a writer called Judith Kerr, uh, and she wrote When Hitler Stole Pink Rabbit. Um, and I would have been about eight or nine, I guess. And it's about a family that, that moves around fleeing Hitler around Europe uh, and the little girl and how she grows up. Uh, and that was absolutely one that I was like pulling out to my daughter. You have to read this. Oh, good. And, and did she? You, you read it with yeah, her? Yeah, yeah, yeah. She did. She did. Oh, that's great stuff. Um, Morning runner, midday runner, evening runner. Okay, so when I was little, um, evening runner definitely. Um, right. Trying to like pretend I was still asleep when my dad came looking for me um, right. in the morning. Um, but now morning runner. Yeah, yeah. With, with a bit of time, with a coffee and some time to wake the joints up. So I can't oh, roll out of bed anymore like I could. So in the middle of my career, I was probably a morning runner, but now I'm like a late morning runner. Uh, headphones, no headphones, music, podcasts. No headphones. No, no oh good no in tune with your body in tune with nature just being aware of everything around you so in the gym if i'm running on a treadmill i will wear headphones yeah but outside that's... not at all yeah and how how often do you run on a treadmill very rarely good <laughs> very rarely no, really. i'd be more likely to do that i do the zero runner um indoors quite a bit because it helps to mobilize my foot and reduce a bit of impact right um and then i'm actually i took part in um something for world cancer day coming up on february the 4th like a, a swift bike race and i hate bikes and i kind of not in tune with cyclists at all but i i did have a go on that on a stationary bike and i actually enjoyed it anything else you'll be doing for that um for so we'll look for that event we'll try to link out to that anything else you have coming up yeah it's, related it's to... called this the solidarity challenge um and it's coming out on world cancer day so we're just doing a kind of a, a whole push there um and then here in Monaco, I'm working with um, Education Nationale and um, the Princess Charlene Foundation to try and do something just to get kids active. Uh, oh, I and, love it. And physically active and just doing something to stay healthy through. We're not in full lockdown, the kids are at school, um, but they're not having any sports. So we're trying to just replace that. And then I'm trying to work on doing something similar in the UK too. And I guess long-term having been through what we've been through the last few months. Um, I'm gonna work with the oncology department in the hospital there um, on something to try and support the, the kids, but also the parents. Just we're sure that physically act, being active and healthy helps you just cope with it um, much better. Oh, so it's not really I about fitness, it's just fitness to support your child as much as possible and just to to try and and help and support them physically and mentally oh yeah just even getting a walking group and be you know mother yeah yeah or even just exercising and just you're still sort of peace of mind to know that because there's a little bit of guilt involved with okay i'm going to go out and look after myself and leave my child um so it's kind of that kind of peace of mind that it's okay we're looking after your child while you go out and refresh yourself recharge that is a great idea love that 
Uh, all right, two more quick ones. Um, best mentor? My dad. Oh. I think my dad, my dad and my grandma. Oh, that's, oh, your grandma too. My grandma too. as well. Yeah, my grandma. Um, so my grandma and I shared a really special bond. My grandma was born on the 17th of December, 1917. She got married on the 17th of July. My dad was born on the 17th of February and my aunt was born on the 17th of June. And then I was her first grandchild and I was born on her birthday on the 17th of December. And then Isla, my daughter, was born on the 17th of January, 07. So she was born 1717. <laughs> I love that. So um, it was just, I mean, one of the first things I did when I crossed the finish line in Chicago, because my, my, my grandma and I were kindred spirits and she taught me that you get out of life what you put in, you pick what you want to do and you just work like hell towards it. And if you don't get there the first time, you keep finding another way around it. And she didn't just tell us that, she demonstrated it. So I can remember she wanted to go camping. So she went and she sourced a, a tent uh, and then she found somewhere to go camping and she researched the weather so the weather would be perfect so that my granddad would be on board and okay, it's a great thing to do. Uh, and she would just do lots of, of fun things like that. So when I crossed the finish line in Chicago, the clock for me read 2.17.17. They later up uh, rounded it up oh. to 2.17.18. So the first thing I did was call her and say, Grandma, guess what time I ran? And she's like, I know, 17 minutes. I'm like, Grandma, it's a marathon, two hours something. So then she got it oh that's um, really special but yeah they were they were great mentors i think just for everything else everything that they taught me and my mom too um and then i think in the sport ingrid christensen greta weiss Joni, yeah. they they helped me with advice and they were phenomenal and steve cram too i think steve watching him race and then now having the honor of kind of sitting beside him and learning a different skill in commentating uh, right. He's been really, really helpful with that um, and given me a lot of uh, advice and guidance. I love it. All right. Last question. If you could have um, dinner with one person, living or deceased, who would you choose? Oh, again, my dad. Is that too funny? I know. <laughs> yeah. I know. Uh, you know, a lot of people say Margaret Thatcher, or Barack Obama. Yeah. Or something, but, no, uh, I think before I that, I would have said, I would have said Emile Zatopek. Oh wow, that is a great. Because I would yeah. actually have loved to to just been able to to chat, ask him some questions. Um, I think from everything that, that I've read, he seems like such an inspirational, great person. Wow. Well, you're so great to spend time with us. We we can't thank you enough. And uh, and please keep us updated on on some of the activities you're doing. And and we would love to share some of this out with our readers. And we're we're over five hundred thousand subscribers for our newsletter now. So people, people and it's a really dedicated group of runners and so people tend to really react to this stuff so if there's ever anything you want us to uh to promote i, I mean i love the the world cancer uh, awareness activities and um this that's great stuff that you're doing we, we'd be happy oh, that's to help great i mean at that. some yeah. stage i would love to to bring the families on track event um to the u.s and i had already been chatting oh a little bit i love to, that to carry in chicago and to new york roadrunners about it as well um and maybe in the kind of Portland area too. Um, so that I, I would love to do it at some point, but I guess everything at the minute is just, let's get the world a safer place first and then worry about things like that. Absolutely. Well, we'll stay safe and, um, and what, you know, it, it, 2021 can only be better, right? So. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, <laughs> I've always been an optimistic person, but yeah, I think uh -huh. we all have to work to it. And we, we all know now that we kind of, we have to do, we have to work together as a team to make it a better place. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Paula. And right, we hope we'll be you. in touch soon.